So I always love the story about the, the woman who came into the bedroom and her husband was still asleep and it was a Sunday morning and she said, hey, get up, you need to go to church. We gotta get ready, we're getting ready for church. And he said, I'm tired, uh, I don't really wanna go. And he said, you know, he said, the, he said it's, those people are not very nice, I'm really sleepy and, and they're hypocrites. And she said, well, you're gonna get up and go because we're Christians, we go to church and you're the minister. So thank you, Megan, for getting me up this morning. Appreciate that. I like to begin the new year with a couple of questions. The first question is, what are two things that you learned in 2023? Lessons from what you experienced, what you went through, what you maybe suffered through. And so I want you to think about this and write it down. Talk to your spouse or your friends or your small group about it. And then my second question is, what three priorities do you have for 2024? Not necessarily resolutions, they could be resolutions, but areas where you're gonna focus, where you're gonna really dig in uh, and try to do better or be better. And I want you to name those, and, and, and that's part of what we'll talk about Wednesday night, is how do we align our time and our energy with those priorities that we say we have? Now, as a church, we've named four, and I just wanna mention them this morning, and we'll say more about it later. The first is youth ministry. Continue to support our youth ministry and our new youth leaders. The second is hospitality. We wanna be a welcoming church on top of all the security things that we've done. The third is Bible study. We wanna dive into scripture this year. And the fourth is vision as we think about the future and where we wanna go and what we wanna do uh, in, the, in the coming uh, months and years. And so um, I wanna lift those up and I wanna encourage you to think about them for your own life as well. Today we're starting a series called Taking Jesus Seriously. And so in the coming weeks, we're gonna be studying the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So I encourage you to start reading it on your own. Um, the new year is a time to start over. It's a time to refocus, a time to name our values and our priorities. The new year is a time to think about the foundations of your life. I want you to think back a couple years, if you've been here a couple years, to when we completed the addition on our church. Carpenter Chapel uh, the, the, and the Kids Commons expanded. Um, basically what happened is, to build that addition, we had to dig down and excavate and, and, and get into the rock. It's Nashville, right? There's limestone everywhere. And so we did this and we spent a lot of money and a lot of time doing this, but once we started building the new addition, we knew we had a firm foundation. Well, guess what? The same thing is true in your life. We need a firm foundation. What are we building on? Is it solid or is it shaky? In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, he says, hey, there's two different builders who build their lives. He says, the first one builds his house on the rock. And when the rains fell, the floods blew, uh, the winds came, it, it beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been built on rock. But the second builder, he says, builds his house on shifting sand. And when the storms of life came and the rains fell and the winds blew, it beat against the house, it fell, and great was its fall. Now, remember, we find this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What's the lesson here? We are called to build our lives on Jesus Christ and his teachings. He's our God, he's our foundation, 
And that will get us through anything that we face in life. For some people, their faith is really important. For other people, it's kind of an afterthought. But today what I'm asking you as we begin this new year is what is the foundation upon which you're building your life? What are your core beliefs? What are your convictions? What's important to you? How do you spend your time and your money? What are you putting in place to help you withstand the storms? Not if they come, but when they come, because they'll come. Foundations matter. And people build their lives on all different kinds of foundations. Some are solid, others are not. And so what I'm gonna do today is something that I've tried to do at the beginning of every year. I'm gonna share with you my foundations. And I'm gonna challenge you to think about yours. Maybe it's the same, maybe it's a little bit different, maybe there's some things that you would add to yours. But, but, but then I want you to ask, if I name the things that I say are most important, then am I living a life that is consistent with those beliefs and those priorities? That's the important question. So first and foremost, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, as it says in the Apostles' Creed. I've always believed in God, and I, I think I always will believe in God. Now, does that mean that I have never questioned God? Of course I've questioned God and been frustrated with God and angry at God. It's part of being human. It's part of being honest, part of struggling with the things that life throws our way. But, but as we grow older, hopefully we continue to grow in our understanding of God and, and who God is. Rabbi Hero Kushner once said, God's not a man in the sky who lives up there somewhere. Harry Emerson Fosdick, a New York preacher said, somebody come and say, you know, I really don't think I, I believe in God. He said, tell me about the kind of God that you believe in. And they describe it and he said, yeah, I'm not sure that I believe in that kind of God either. A master puppeteer inflicting pain on some people, but not on other people. We have to move to a much deeper understanding of God and who God is. G.K. Chesterton once said, when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. It's that they believe in anything and everything. Nietzsche once said in the West that, that money would become God. And he's right to a large degree. For many people, that's proven true. They trust and worship money more than God. I believe in a God of love mercy, compassion, and forgiveness as revealed to us through Jesus in the New Testament. I believe in a God that is the eternal whole, a home of the human soul. And Augustine was right when he said, Lord, you've made us for yourself and our heart is restless until we find, it finds its rest in you. I think God is a mystery. Um, and we spend our entire lives seeking God and discovering truths about the nature of God. Theology, uh, the study of God is a lifelong endeavor and it involves living with a sense of humility like we read in Micah 6, 8, we walk humbly with God. Now, I don't believe in a God who's just up there, out there, somewhere, but I believe in a God who is everywhere, including right here and right now. In Acts 17, it, it says it's in God that we live and move and have our being there's no place we can go where God isn't. God is like the air we breathe, the breath of life. God is within us and God is all around us. Next, because I believe in God, I believe in love. First John says, God is love and those who love are born of God and know God. And whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. 
I think that our world needs more love and less anger and fear. Love is the force that holds things together in life. It gets us through really difficult situations. Um, but we have to constantly remind ourselves that God is calling us to love each other and not to hurt each other. God is calling us to build each other up and not tear each other down. And part of learning to love means learning to overcome fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You know, the apostle Paul writes these words, if you remember to the Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. You see, the single greatest challenge in life is to learn how to love. And we spend our entire lives trying to do that. Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. And guess what? We never master it, but we have to keep trying. Next, because I am a uh, minister in the Reformed tradition, I went to Princeton Seminary. My theology was influenced by John Calvin and Karl Barth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord and Savior. And I wholeheartedly believe that in Jesus Christ, God brings forgiveness, liberation, reconciliation, and new life into this broken world. Now, being a Christian means much more than just believing in Jesus. We are called to emulate and follow Jesus. We have to know Christ on a personal level. It means letting him change your heart and your actions and your thoughts. If we want to become more like Christ, we develop what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I would say in 2024, which of those do you need to work on? Which one or two do you need to work on as we move forward in this new year? Write that down and make an effort to do it. Next, because I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the local church, the community of believers. And I believe with all my heart that the church is called to be missional. The church is called to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. The church is not just a place or a building, but it's people united in Christ. We have this beautiful building with an obnoxiously tall steeple that you can't miss, and that's great, but that's not the church. We're the church, the people coming together. And, 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 and we're being called to go and transform the world. And we share life together and we celebrate the good times and the hard times. My grandfather was a pastor in um, Fort Lauderdale. He started a church down there. And he always said that, that the church brings the best lifelong friendships. And he was right because I've experienced that in my own life. You know, it's always been very clear that there is a direct correlation between one's active involvement in the church and one's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. Marriages are stronger when people are involved in the church. Families are closer when the entire family is involved in the church. The rates of divorce and depression and suicide are much lower for those who are in the church. And guess what? The church isn't perfect. 
because it's made up of imperfect people and we don't always agree with each other. And there will always be something that you can complain about in the church. And if you don't have anything, come talk to me. I'll, I'll tell you what you can complain about. But we love each other even when we disagree and we journey forward together in life. Next, as a Christian, I believe in the Bible, God's word. And this is going to be one of our uh, areas of emphasis in 2024. The Bible provides the foundation and wisdom for our lives. Now, I don't worship the Bible. I worship God. I'm not a fundamentalist because academically, I see some inconsistencies with that particular approach to scripture. However, I don't just believe in throwing scripture out when it's not convenient. We have to wrestle with the text. It's through the Bible that we come to know God and Jesus the best. Stephen Prothero once pointed out, he said, you know, many Christians in our culture say they really believe the Bible, that they'd swear on the Bible. And, and so, but isn't it funny for a book that people love so much and, 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 and stand by, they haven't read it and they don't read it. So I'm challenging you this new year to read and study the Bible. Start with the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're going to be over the next few weeks. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Don't just wait to Sunday to hear the text. Read it on your own. God will speak to you and transform you uh, if you open it up and if you pray over the text. Karl Barth was right. He said, we should approach every day with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And let's see what the Bible has to say about all the different issues that our world is facing. Next, and certainly of the utmost importance, I believe in the power of prayer, which I've always said includes confession and forgiveness. See, for us as Christians, prayer is the means through which we communicate with God. And remember, communication means both talking and listening. And it's through prayer that we can forgive others and we can ask for forgiveness ourselves. Prayer is a mystery. We don't understand exactly how it works. But what we do know is that when we pray, it makes a difference, both in our own lives and in the lives of others. So it really doesn't matter, I think, what we say when we pray or where we pray or how we pray or when we pray. What matters is that we pray on a regular basis and that we expect things to happen when we pray. You know, it may not be exactly what we were wanting, but that shouldn't stop us from praying. The real secret to the power of prayer is to not see it as some magical means of escaping our problems or fixing it, but as a means of asking for God's help in conquering our troubles and our challenges. Somebody once said that, that through prayer, we should be asking God for stronger backs and not necessarily lighter loads. But only those who pray on a regular basis know the difference that it makes. Next, I believe in marriage, home, and family life. And we're bringing Daystar in a week from Wednesday, remember, to support parents and to help you in that really important role that you have. Now, I have a 13-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old, soon-to-be 12-year-old son, and a 7-year-old son. So our house is kind of crazy, right? Um, we, we live this. And so when I talk about it, I'm also talking from a firsthand perspective of trying to be a good parent. 
You know, Megan and my children are, are my top priority and I will never apologize for that. I have no business leading Woodmont if I can't take care of my family first. The quality of our home and family life is one of the most important factors in determining our faith and our outlook on the world. And so I've always been convinced, and therapists will tell you this, that children who, who are born into a healthy and happy home will grow up speaking love as their native language. And, and every family has issues, problems, drama, setbacks. Your family's not unique. But real family is where you are loved and cared for and where you can always go and feel welcome no matter what. And if things happen to fall apart in your marriage, then guess what? The church is here to help and that's why we offer divorce care because you shouldn't have to go through that alone and we don't want you to. As someone who believes that faith must be able to withstand the test of mind, heart, and circumstance, I believe in free will and the consequences of it. Frederick Buechner, who's a great writer, once put it this way. He said, the greatest single argument against the existence of God is the presence of evil in the world. Basically put like this, if there's a God who's both good and all powerful, then why do terrible things happen in the world? Why did I lose my friend Zach and his two children right before Thanksgiving in Texas? And then Buechner gives his answer when he says this, God wants us related to him in the same way that children are related to their parents. He wants us to love him. And if our love is to be spontaneous and real, we must be free to not love him with all of its grim consequences of human suffering. Evil exists in the world, not because God is indifferent or powerless or absent, but because human beings are free. And free we must be if we are to love freely. Free we must be if we are to be human. You know, love is not controlling. Out of love, God has given every single one of us free will. And God hopes that we will choose faith and choose uh, love and mercy and compassion. But the choice is always ours to make. And clearly in this world, there are many people who don't choose that. But God gives us that freedom. Lastly this morning. I believe in life after death. Death will always be a great mystery to those of us who are on this side of it, but I believe that life goes on beyond the grave because of the words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And I'm convinced that somehow, and I can't really explain it to you, we will be reunited with the people that we have loved and lost here on earth. I look forward to the day when I can see my mother again, see my grandparents, see my friends that I've lost. What a wonderful day that'll be. But as the Bible says, now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. This is my foundation. These are the things upon which I have tried for many years to build my life, my ministry, my marriage, my family. And so what about you? As we begin 2024, I challenge you to be honest with yourself and just say, what are the things that are most important to me? And am I living a life where my time and my energy and my money line up with those things? And for some reason, you've been living a life where they don't line up, then maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to do something a little bit different.
In the words of a poet, until the sun grows cold and the stars grow old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold, this, friends, is what I believe. Amen.